Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Ellie Mistal cannot be with us today, but I have a special guest. Uh, I have Catherine Rubino, also of Above the Law and the host of the Joe podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Well, I'm definitely doing better than uh, Brett Kavanaugh right now. Well, you don't know that since this episode doesn't come out until... I suppose that's true, but we can say that we're in the middle of testimony during the recording of between uh, Brett Kavanaugh is currently going on right now. And this morning was the testimony of his first accuser, Dr. Christine uh, Blasey Ford. Yeah. So we're in the midst of that. And so obviously we don't know what's going to happen uh, between now and when this episode comes out because things are moving fairly quickly and we do not broadcast live. That said, I think we can draw some conclusions mm-hmm. based that's on fair. what that's we've fair. seen so far and just legal conclusions. Frankly, that was what I was more looking toward okay. because... Let's talk real quick about this morning's testimony. So this morning, Republican senators opted not to ask any questions. They did not. They handed it all off to Maricopa County prosecutor Rachel Mitchell. Yeah, but they didn't like give her just a block of time. They went back and forth. So she got five minutes to ask questions before a senator from the Democratic side of the aisle would speak. Well, I mean, the issue is that the Republicans wanted a hearing because they felt like they needed to have a hearing but didn't want any actual information to come from the hearing. So they scheduled a rather short hearing to hear Dr. Ford's testimony. Um, I think that it was, if I remember the numbers correctly, it's about half the amount of time and testimony they had scheduled for this allegation than they did in 1991 when Anita Hill came forward with allegations of sexual harassment against Clarence Thomas. So we're talking about half as many minutes to ask questions. And I think that the format that the Republican majority decided upon was tragic for them. It seemed like it was ill-conceived. I think the logic was, of course, to not have a vision of a number of mostly elderly white men asking questions about this. Uh, But instead, what they ended up with was this awkward optics of not a, of just sitting there as specters while other people asked questions. And then the questions, though, had some of them had come from them. So they yes. included a, like basically all the damage was getting done, but without any of the possible benefit. It was it was a thing. It's but bad. It was bad. And, and I mean, the other thing, too, is the person that they got, um, Rachel Mitchell, you know, she's a prosecutor who prosecutes sex crimes. So her job, her day-to-day life is believing victims, is getting victims to testify in in courtrooms. So it seemed like an odd choice from, if you're Republicans, if you actually care about things like the truth of the matter and what Mm. happened, maybe this makes sense. But given the format and other sort of tips and hints that we've gotten from the GOP, it doesn't seem like that was really their goal. But, you know, I think that it was put Mitchell in a very awkward position. I think that her last set of questions to... Dr. Ford were specific about, you know, the format being problematic. And it seemed as if Mitchell was admitting, yeah, no, this is fucked up. Sorry, you guys, this isn't my fault. Yeah, it did seem the the testimony did end with her making a claim that 
this seems like a poor format. It seems like a format that did a disservice to what we were working on and mm -hmm. that an investigation would have been better, which were all talking points that certainly the other side had been talking more about. I thought that what I found interesting about it is for those people, uh, Ellie, uh, while he was not able to join us today, did tweet throughout most of the day. One of the things he tweeted about that I think was he was right about was that there are a lot of people in this world, and this goes back to the episode we had a couple weeks ago where we were talking to the guys who law. People don't understand what cross-examinations actually look like. Sure. They think that it's some Perry uh, Mason types or whatever. Yeah. But what this prosecutor was doing actually was uh, what a good cross-ex would theoretically sound like. The mm -hmm. problem is there was no rhythm to it because it was interrupted every five, five minutes. minutes. It was punctuated by dumb questions because she had an obligation to read the questions of the senators given to her. When you could tell she was making follow-ups of her own, mm -hmm. it actually was very good. Like you could tell there was a lot of skill involved here. That said, many of those questions where she was able to go off on her own, you kind of got the feeling that- yeah her natural instinct of building a criminal case against somebody yep. who had done something rather than denigrating a victim was where her Clinician. instincts were. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. And and I mean, listen, she doesn't normally do it in five minute increments. And I think that there's a lot of dragging of Mitchell on social media right now saying what a terrible job she's done, blah, blah, blah. I think that that is certainly true in terms of a partisan sense. Her questions did not poke any holes in the fundamental credibility of the witness, which if you want Brett Kavanaugh to be the next Supreme Court justice is something you were really hoping for. So I think on that, from that perspective, it was problematic. But the reality is she did a very good job. She's skilled at what she does. This is not her normal, you know, having a partisan role is not something she normally does. And I thought that that's what the last series of questions was kind of meant to illustrate. And I think that I understand, you know, Republicans not wanting to be only men asking questions. Maybe they should have a woman then on the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's worth, yeah. it's never, never in the history of the Senate Judiciary Committee has there been a female Republican on the committee. Let's just let that sink in for a second. I mean, they try to get women. Yeah, they, they. I mean, the goal is to get women who are attorneys. And I, I guess the, I don't know, of the female Republicans currently in the Senate, I'm not sure how many came at that job from a from a legal background, I haven't ever looked. Sure, never though. But I think that's, oh yeah. Not ever. Obviously there's there's <laughs> yeah. generally not a, not as many female sure. Republicans anyway. Um, I think that's something to be aware of. And you know, they literally got someone whose job it is to believe victims. Yeah. It just seemed like an odd choice from a partisan perspective. Yeah. And I, I, I don't believe they had a truth finding goal <laughs> yeah. in mind. Um, I think that, that flies in the face of every other hint that we have from the process. Social media darling, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District, Preet Braha, tweeted out at the very end that Mitchell closed her questioning by pointing out everything wrong with the way in which the procedure had, had gone, which he felt was a strong finish, but certainly not one that, that I think the people who brought Mitchell in could have possibly wanted. possibly wanted. I want to talk a little bit about something that caught some Twitter fire for us over here. At one point in the testimony, Senator Klobuchar points out that the doctor had taken a polygraph test mm -hmm. and the results of that showed that she told the truth and uh, entered that into the record, but noted while she did so that all she was entering in the record were the raw results because the expert who actually is supposed to interpret those results was forwarded as someone to be interviewed by the committee and that was denied. Yeah. So let's take this bit by bit. Polygraph testimony. What? How do you feel? How do you feel about polygraph evidence? Well, 
you know, I'm kind of, I think it's pretty problematic personally, but uh, I know how, what Brett Kavanaugh thinks about it. Okay. Yeah, no, um, that jumped way, 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 way further ahead than the actual question I asked. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's largely, uh, it, it comes real close to pseudoscience. Uh, it's a device that was kind of created by, largely created with work from the guy who created Wonder Woman as a character, so. Yes. Yes, yeah. I, I think there's some documentary about the yeah. Wonder Woman that I've seen that that brings that whole thing up. It's it's yeah. The, the lasso of truth is because he yeah. like legitimately believed he could tell if people were lying. So it's this you know slightly better than phrenology maybe uh, <laughs> pseudoscience that many people have made over the years a lot of hay explaining how it's not actually reliable, but it does have some evidentiary value. Obviously, people who are telling lies tend not to opt to get one. Sure. Uh, so there's at least there's some- There's a risk there there's if a, you're lying. I'm saying there's a self, yeah. So there's a bit of a self-selection issue. Like if you choose to take one, you probably are, you're indicating that you feel good about your testimony. Anyway, so there's that. Judge Kavanaugh has not taken a polygraph test, which is curious since mm. he's written opinions before about how much. Yeah, and you've actually done a little bit of research into his, what he thinks about polygraphs. He, yes, he thinks they're great. Um, he's he's written opinions. Twist. He's written opinions about how he thinks that they are absolutely warranted by government agencies, law enforcement, people making hiring decisions. They should be able to use polygraphs and test them. In fact, in one instance, he was, he made a decision in a FOIA context that an entity shouldn't have to turn over polygraph stuff, including they should not have to turn over any internal diagnostics they have about the quality of their polygraphs, because mm. that might undermine public faith in polygraphs. Well, because they're fake. Well, say that, say about that what you will. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying whether or not this is good or bad or indifferent evidence, but I do think there's something to be said for the hypocrisy of telling people who are on the losing end of job decisions because they took a polygraph machine that that's their fault. Polygraphs are great. And then when confronted with a polygraph against you, refusing to at least, you know, sack up sure. and do it yourself. Well, I mean, that's a really smart decision if you're not being 100% accurate with, with the truth, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's at least, it, it, I mean, I understand why these things happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm taking these weird pauses because, uh, as I said, we... We timed this a little bit wrong, so we yeah. we recorded we started recording like right at a few minutes into Judge Kavanaugh's opening statement. So we're we're seeing updates about that as we're talking. Yeah, I mean this job. If, if you weren't already, you know, kind of writing a legal blog during Senate confirmation hearings, makes you a social media junkie. I've done more twittering today than I have in a year. Tweeting, Is it tweeting. Hearing? Twittering, whatever. Twittering. I mean, I think you know what I meant, though, which is the point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so. I mean, I just believe in precision here. I think that um, language is flexible and oh, do you ever now. evolving. Oh, do and you know? So now. I think that you should be pretty open to these kinds of changes in our lexicon. Mm. Mm. I'm so. a textualist. <laughs> no. So. If, if, you, if only you were. So, no, um. Yeah, so we're getting updates uh, as things go. Apparently, he just went on a tear about that Renate Alumnus Club uh, allegation. Amazing. It's come across so far badly for him in a lot of different ways, I feel. Mm. He began his opening statement very red and angry and screaming. 
which I think is the opposite image than most people have of, of you know, sober as a judge. He came, came across as whatever you imagine the opposite of that to be. Yeah. Which, you know, take the actual truth of the allegations out of it for a second and just look at those optics doesn't look great for him. Yeah, it strikes me. Uh, so I recently rewatched Clarence Thomas's oh. high-tech lynching statement. Sure. Just because I, I had some feeling like this might be relevant to me uh, in yeah, the near yeah. future. Smart move. And he's very angry, obviously, that it is a very forceful and angry speech, sure. but it is nonetheless a measured speech. Mm -hmm. He says he's angry about this. This isn't true. Move on, kind of. But he, he comes across rightly, wrongly, whatever. He comes across very measured and a judge. He seems like a, a judge who you have you, you've contempt. You've sure. gone into contempt in front of him. And he's sure. mad. Sure. This, at least as it began, and obviously it's still going as it began, it did not begin that way. It began mm -hmm. um, wildly angry, yelling, uh, unhinged, jumping into conspiracy theories. Yep. Uh, he didn't say George Soros, but he was real close to saying <laughs> that some crazy left-wing billionaire was paying for everything, which from my perspective, it struck me that somebody in this process should have, he said that no one had looked at his statement, but one of his clerks, it seems like somebody else should have looked at his statement uh, before <laughs> he went off on this. Because from my perspective, even if, if you're saying you want to show that you don't believe these allegations and argue them, Sure, maybe. And maybe as an argument to those, this is compelling. But as a as a statement that mm -hmm. you are not the sort of person who becomes violent with people, yes, that you are not violent. somebody who is and all over the place, control. that you are not somebody who is so in the tank for partisans that you believe clutch at straws and believe in conspiracy theories. All those other complaints people have raised about him were just doubled down upon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of tack back slightly to your point about comparing and contrasting Clarence Thomas's statement with what we're seeing now in Judge Kavanaugh's opening statement. I also think that there's something that is played out very differently in 1991 than now, which is the way that race plays a role here. I think that Clarence Thomas was very aware that he cannot be an angry black man and still be a Supreme Court justice. Especially, at, le at least in 1991. Definitely 1991. Strom Thurmond was on that panel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he was very aware of the optics that race was playing in the in his confirmation proceedings. And I think that they were race was also used to Anita Hill's detriment. I think that a lot of her stoicism and I thought what I perceived as class in answering a lot of those questions came across um, not as sympathetic um, to a lot of the white people who are watching. And I think that that has been very much in contrast with what's going on and also this morning with Christine uh, Blasey Ford's testimony. But, you know, to kind of make a perfect comparison between them, I think is a little bit uh, inaccurate unless you really account for the way that race obviously played a role in those two. Situations. That race dynamic is fascinating, actually. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I definitely sure. think there's something different. And I also think, but to your point about kind of a, a stoic response, the measured response, mm -hmm. it feels as though there's been a break between from 1991 till now on the side of the, as far as the strategy of the, I don't want to make it sound like strategy. Obviously, these people are telling their stories. But on the presentation of the victims, while there's also a race dynamic, there's also a perhaps trying to be as, you know, not seem weak and that Anita sure. Hill might have done was probably a poor decision. And there was much more, why don't you just tell your story unfiltered without us trying to micromanage it? Like, I think a lot of people think happened to Anita Hill, where there was a lot of, you know, trying to make it 
look right. Sure. Uh, and this was more unfiltered. Whereas what happened on the other side was a being angry worked for Thomas. You try your version of angry. <laughs> and uh, that that going way. to the same playbook seems to have failed on that part. I think that's true. And I think the other difference in terms of if you're comparing and contrasting Anita Hill's testimony with uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony, I think the other difference is the impact that the Me Too movement has had. Um, I think that over, you know, what is it, the last 18 months or so, you know, the prominence and amount of stories that people have heard about sexual assault and sexual harassment and sexual misconduct generally has made the average listener more comfortable hearing some of the pain and anguish that goes on when people are victimized. And I think that has also played a part of it. But, you know, again, I'm not discounting any measure that race played a big role in how Anita Hill was perceived in 1991 and how the response to um, Ford's testimony has been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. I think the worst thing that a Republican has been able to say about it is she's not not credible. <laughs> yeah, well, no, Lindsey Graham said worse, but yes, I, uh, John yeah. Cronin said she's not not credible. To go back to how Mitchell handled this cross mm. for the people who may not have seen crosses before, like, I feel like a good example of it, it, like it followed the regular playbook of these sorts of cases. A lot of focus on not remembering specific details. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the traumatic event is going to be the thing you remember more than anything surrounding it. However, part of the strategy here is you ask questions about little details that aren't there in a way to create doubt in people's minds that she's not the perfect victim, like some weird platonic ideal that people have of that. And that certainly went down that road. Those were the sorts of questions that happened. I just feel like, at least as you said, what we're seeing from people reacting to it is that most folks believed, they have started to realize that yeah. maybe that's okay. Maybe it's not inconsistent to say that I remember somebody attacking me 36 years ago and I don't remember what song was on the radio 36 years sure. ago. Sure. Uh, that those that kind of memory operates differently, which is a thing that for years was utilized. I remember the William Kennedy Smith oh, yes. rape trial in the 90s. That strategy was used by Roy Black to great effect. You don't remember this. You don't remember what color this was. You don't remember that. And just that was a time where people took that as reasons to not believe. Whereas now I think people are more attuned to the idea that it's possible you remember certain things at different levels of I, magnitude. I think that's true. And I, I, think, I do think as kind of a society, we've become a little bit more sophisticated about the way that we understand sexual assault and sexual misconduct. But the other thing is, I think that the Democrats handled it very well in terms of their questionings. They just wanted admitted into record studies that said sexual assault survivors are likely to have gaps in their memory. Sexual assault survivors, you know, all these kind of scientific studies and and data points that proved, you know, that Ford's testimony falls in line with truthful testimony of sexual assault. And I think that they handled it well in a very matter of fact, well, of course that this is true. Now tell us what you remember. What's the, you know, one of the most powerful moments in the testimony was when Ford was asked, what was the one thing she remembered most vividly from that evening? And she talked about hearing Kavanaugh and Judge laughing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we're able to speak very poignantly about the moment she remembers and, you know, Democrats just kind of putting into the record, well, science says, of course, yeah. he's not going to remember at all. Yeah. Of course, of course. Right. It seems very matter of fact. I think it becomes very easy to understand for the casual observer. Yeah. And we saw also, I'm just going to put this in as a personal uh, right. level. So we saw in both 
the questioning this morning briefly and in Kavanaugh's opening statement, the return of Ed Whelan's bonkers theory. Ed Whelan, the national... Crazy pants. For uh, until, you know... I think he's still, I think he might be on some kind of a leave of absence, but the National Review's legal reporter over last week put out a bunch of stuff about how he'd been on Zillow and he had figured out that she doesn't remember Brad Kavanaugh. She remembers somebody else. And he's figured this out because somebody else had a floor plan in their childhood home, according to Zillow, the better matched. Um, and I mean, that's something that we see. Yeah. We literally see Kavanaugh doing right now, right? He said, oh, I don't doubt that she might have been sexually assaulted by someone at some time, but it certainly wasn't me. He, he brought up the houses. He mm-hmm. started talking about Zillow. He said, like, well, mm-hmm. talked about floor plans and everything. Like, no, it, it's clear that wherever Whelan got his insane theory, which has resulted in him being ostracized even by right wing, yep. his right wing allies, and now being forced to take a leave of absence from his job. What I learned today basically is that Kavanaugh was the source of all of this. For sure. He For sure. clearly believes the exact same theory and he outlined it. So that was our, but watching Ed Whelan make, you know, embarrass himself was funny because he is yeah. an utterly humorless idiot. But I mean, um, compare and contrast the way that that hit and in, in this kind of pulling at straws conspiracy theory and how it's been perceived Mm -hmm. versus the utter clarity with which Ford testified. She was asked point blank, with what degree of certainty are you sure that it was Brett Kavanaugh who did this to you? And she said 100%. And she was utterly believable in that moment, clear as a bell. And I think that that is going to play a lot better and a lot stronger than pulling up a map and a Zillow floor plan ever will. Yeah, I mean, obviously by the time this episode comes out, we'll probably have... No, one way or the other. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably have known one way or the other how this played. But it is interesting just to break down from the legal perspective, like how, how certain things are just... I mean, that's what's insane to me. Is like the judge is the one grasping at weird circumstantial evidence, whereas the doctor like is not. Crazy, he seems like a bad judge right now. I mean, it, it's... Yeah, it's just weird. There's so many more guarded ways to go about this more. I feel like this is untrue. You can say like the questions, the poke holes by not remembering this, not remembering that Mm -hmm. perfectly. That's not perfectly, but that's that's the playbook for proving something wrong. Going off on weird second gropers from behind the grassy knoll that Uh lived in different uh, Zillow houses. Yeah, like that just undermines any level of credibility that yeah, I think I he mean, had. He, yeah. he, he doesn't seem serious anymore. Like, you know, separate and apart, if you can, if you're able to, and I don't begrudge anyone who can't do this, but if you're able to somehow take away the accusations themselves, and, and let's be clear, it's not just one woman who's come forward at this point. There have been right, three. multiple, yeah. But kind of just putting a pin in that for a moment, he does not comport himself as you would like a Supreme Court justice to comport themselves in moments of stress. Period. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. It. it yeah. That's the big takeaway yep. uh, from this is just the weird legal team meltdown that led to. Man, just, I wish I could. I could be a fly on that wall. Like, how did this prep session go? Yeah. Was there one? How do you not have one? Like, are you a bad lawyer too? Because because lawyers prepare. That's what you're trained to do. Usually. Well, yeah, you would think. And if there was ever, if there was, was there a prep session? Was there never a prep session? Who's in charge of this train? Because I know what it's coming at. <laughs> it's all terrifying. Yeah, because if you're the Republicans, you have to, if you're Kavanaugh's camp, you have to assume that your audience are the handful of 
four potentially defecting Republican senators. Sure. And like, what about this is designed to appeal to them? Zero. Nothing Nothing about what he's said so far has been I mean, geared I, towards Collins. I mean, I guess maybe you're aiming for Manchin and Donnelly on the grounds of trying to convince their constituents that it's a vast conspiracy paid for by George Soros. But I think, I think that, I mean, I think Christine Blasey Ford was too compelling for that to work. Yeah, I mean, my prediction, I mean, obviously we'll know one way or the other, is that the three jeopardized red state Democrats are going to utilize what happened and jump all on the sure. our wives and daughters sure. uh, canard, which which is which is problematic. Which is pro- very problematic. Like um, rape shouldn't be a bad thing just they, because you might have a daughter. Sure, it's because yeah. they're people. Yeah, because yeah. they're actually people. Yeah. Uh, Let's but, treat women like people. But then you know. But I'm that that I think is going to be the tack they take sure. with their constituents. Is like mm-hmm. I listened to somebody who could have been my wife yeah. or daughter, very and compelling, and that's going to be how they go. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But so, yeah, then at that point, your real audience has to be the Republicans. And I don't know. I think that this is problematic. I think there are too many qualified other Republican judges out there that would do just as much harm to Roe v. Wade as Kavanaugh will. And as a matter of like kind of, you know, rational actor kind of theory, I don't understand the play of letting this go to a vote. Right. I mean, well, what I've said about this is I don't understand if there's an argument that you want to get it done before the midterms. Makes sense. Sure. You probably are going to win the midterms. The Republicans are for the Senate uh, just because of the map. But you might not. So you're worried. Get it. Totally understandable. But this is the point where, I mean, norms are gone at Mm -hmm. this point. So why not? yank this guy, turn around to one of the judges who has just gone through a confirmation hearing within the last year, say, we've already had a confirmation hearing with this exact same constituent Senate, Mm -hmm. with the exception of McCain, who's been replaced by a Republican, so it should be the same. We're just going to choose one of them. We'll have a vote tomorrow. We don't need any more hearings. Now, that's a breach of norms, but at this point, norms don't matter. Like It's better than this, than this debacle that's going you just on right now. Ca- you just call Joan Larson, who got 60 votes in her confirmation, and say, we already know, you do that. Are then- 10 people really going to turn? Yeah, 11, you, 11, yeah. All of these people voted already, so you've got pressure on them. Well, you, what's changed? What's changed? That's how you get the, yeah. like, Joe Manchin votes for it one time. Why is he voting against it this time? That That's pressure. Mm-hmm. That actually works. I don't understand why they didn't just yeah. do that. Hey, I mean, the only the they only ants, the only well, it's not even win because that would be a win, too. It's I think it really is. There's a deep seated. We got to do everything to own the libs, like just whatever it is that makes more liberal people mad is an end in of itself. And, uh, you know, I mean, more power to them. If I were them, I would do whatever it took to get through the path of least resistance to get the vote I want before, on the court. Yeah, before, I mean, yeah. If, I, if I were a die-in-the-wool Republican, I'd be like, I don't care. We need that vote on the court tomorrow yeah. before the midterms. Yeah. We just need to get this done. When, as soon as it started looking like it was going belly up, pull yeah, it. Yeah, pull it. Rip. Pull it immediately. Pull the ripcord. Get... You know, Joan Larson, get Thapar in there, get somebody Thapar, else yeah. in there and take the vote. I mean, it, I'm, I mean I'm glad they haven't done that, I suppose, for my personal politics. But it just it doesn't make sense if you're just game theorying this out. Yeah, time for a little game theory. So on that note, we should close up and get back to this. I see from my computer screen here that people are starting to ask questions. Woo. So, yeah. So read above the law. Follow us. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, spelled uh, 
K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-1 at Twitter. You should give reviews to this podcast, stars, write things that helps us get discovered by more people. Listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. And while not on the Legal Talk Network, Catherine's show, The Chappell. And uh, yeah, that's everything. So we'll uh, be back to you very soon. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.